Well, hello everybody and welcome to another Financial Wellbeing Podcast. My name is uh, David Lloyd, broadcaster, writer, sometime actor, bon vivant, currently sitting here uh, in my friend Chris's house with his dog on my lap. So if you hear any sounds of snoring or heavy breathing, could be Chris, but it's most likely his dog. My friend Chris is, of course, the very splendid Chris Budd. Tell us about yourself, Chris. Well, good morning, David. I am a writer. I'm going to call myself that. It feels a bit strange thing to actually call yourself a writer, but I'm going to. You've written two books, mate. Of course I'm, you're a writer. I've three, because the other one's just out. Of course it is. Manners yeah. from Heaven is available in shops now. Well, actually, it isn't in shops now. It's in Amazon now, but that's close enough, isn't it, these days? I shall be on Amazon. I'm going to buy it. It's going to be my Christmas present to myself, Chris. <laughs> well, given the help you you gave me in writing the thing, David, you might just be getting a free copy, actually. Oh, well, There's not many that do, but you may be one of them. I was rather hoping that was going to be the answer. <laughs> but, uh, otherwise, I would have named and shamed you. So I gather um, you've been pole dancing. Or dance, <laughs> dancing with poles. I've just come back from Poland, yes. Just been off to Krakow for the weekend. Fantastic city. Yeah. Never been to Poland before. No, likewise. Beautiful. Beautiful. Fly there from Bristol. Stayed in an Airbnb apartment. Uh, fantastic beer at, at you know pound forty a pint. What's to complain about? Great meal out. Costs you about half what it costs over here. How much sausage did you eat? A fair amount of sausage. Yeah. A fair amount of sausage, beer... And I have to say, vodka was consumed in, in reasonable amounts of very nice vodka. So it was great. I mean, we also took in a trip to um, uh, Auschwitz as well, which I won't dwell on here because it's probably not the appropriate time. All I would say is that it really is a very, very necessary place mm. to go and visit, mm. particularly uh, the way things are in the world at the moment. Yeah. So a really, really great weekend, actually. And I'm looking forward to more uh, podcasting with you, Chris. Well, funny you should mention that Airbnb, actually, because that's right in the, the, the spot of what we're going to be talking about today. Because we're going to listen to an interview with George Ferguson, very interesting chap. He was the uh, mayor of Bristol, and one of the things he talks about is the shared economy. Yeah, he was the first directly elected independent mayor of Bristol, Correct. wasn't he? Yes, yeah. thank you for clarifying that. Yeah, absolutely right. So, um, financial well-being, just to introduce the, the, the reason that George is, is uh, on our podcast, financial well-being is one of five areas that make up well-being. This is according to surveys from Gallup in their book called Wellbeing, uh, which I'd recommend to people to read, uh, Tom Rath and Jim Harte. One of the other types of well-being is community well-being. And one of the things that we try and stress is it's really important not to just focus on one area of well-being at a time. So although we're focusing on financial well-being, it's important to bear in mind other aspects of well-being and how they interact. If you focus too much on career well-being, that could be to the detriment of family well-being. So it's important that we look at things in the whole. And the most important one actually is social relationships. So what we're going to look at is what makes a happy place to live? What makes a community a good community to live in? And the answer is going to come around this area of social relationships. Now, I've been doing quite a bit of uh, reading on this stuff. There's um, a survey from an organisation called the Knight Foundation did in America. And they found that the three most important things for a happy community, and I suspect you'll be interested in the third of these particularly, David, Firstly, opportunities for social engagement. No surprises, given what we've just said. Secondly, aesthetics. How pretty a place is. Crack out by the sounds of it. And thirdly, and this is the one I found really interesting, acceptance of others. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. I think sometimes if we get too tied down to our own way of thinking about things, we're closing ourselves off to the opportunities for a different form of 
life, a different form of living, and maybe a different form of happiness and well-being. So I love the idea of acceptance of others. I think that it absolutely is uh, the way forward for any happy relationship in any sphere, be it your marriage, yeah, yeah. be it work, uh, socially, whatever. So it's important to remember here that this isn't our opinion. This is what this particular survey found that people said. Those who lived in an area with a multicultural mixed community with a high level of acceptance of others reported greater well-being from where they lived. Mm. I think that's a really interesting lesson given, you know, I would say recent political events around the globe. Thanks for that, Chris. So before we go on and listen to our interview with George, uh, I've got a few tweets to read out. And these are all from other financial professionals. We've asked you all to send in your tweets. And they're coming thick and fast, aren't they, Chris? They are, absolutely. Yeah, we've had a lot of feedback, some useful comments. A couple not so useful as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's financial advisors for that's you. That's Twitter as well. On everything. Yeah. <laughs> what we also want to hear as well is from you people out there listening to the podcast, a good idea for a name uh, for this little section. Uh, Chris and I have come up with a couple, which we can't repeat on air. So any idea that you've got for uh, a, a good name for this. So advice from other financial advisors. So... The first one comes from at London Money FS. He offers a great line, control your overheads before they can control you. Like the sound of that. Uh, Rachel Vey at Ray Vey offers us, always face the music. Be fully aware of what money you have and how you spend and save it. Then you plan how to use it. That rings a bell with me. That's great advice. And if you go into the book, the Financial Wellbeing book, um, one of the five key areas is control of daily finances. So it, what I find really interesting for the tweets that we get from professionals in the industry, from other financial planners and financial advisors, is time and again, they don't, they don't say the best buy ISA that you might read in the, in the press. They don't talk about products. They don't talk about um, pensions. They talk about life. They talk about getting a handle on your finances. Um, there was one from Richard Ellis, who's at me, Richard Ellis, spending time thinking about what makes you happy and do more of that stuff. Although he does add in brackets, unless it's illegal. <laughs> well, that's fair. Come on. Just like to pick you up as well. You did mention the book. It's the Financial Wellbeing book. All the proceeds from it go to Penny Braun Cancer Care. So I've got some news on that, actually. Give us the news, Chris. Current sales. Yeah. Two and a half thousand. Wow. Really pleased with that. Um, it was at number three in the WH Smith's business book chart. Uh, there's one final tweet I just went mentioned as well. Um, and this guy most definitely is not a professional well, in any respect, really. <laughs> um, I'm Steve Wilson is his Twitter name. Um, and he offers us, if you're going to spend money, make sure it's somebody else's. <laughs> <laughs> and Satana, Chris. Yeah. So great tips there from other financial advisors. Keep them coming and remember, give us a name for that section. Right, Chris, let's have a listen to what George has to say. Do you want to tell us a bit more about him? Yeah, George, is, um, George Ferguson is a real expert in the whole areas of how to make cities a happy place to live. Originally, uh, he made his name as an architect. Uh, he's also been... A big name in Bristol for many, many years, supporting businesses and setting up businesses like breweries and ferries. Uh, as we say, in 2012, he was voted in as the first elected mayor of Bristol as an independent, made a few controversial decisions, to say the least, many of which to do with traffic and parking. A bit of a controversial figure, but very passionate about how to make cities happier places to live. At the time I spoke to George, he had just returned from a trip to South Korea on a convention on happy cities. And I talked to him in his flat in the tobacco factory, which is a multi-creative 
hub in South Bristol. And he starts off by telling us about the tobacco factory. It's a really good example of the sort of thing that makes cities a happy place to live because it's a place that enhances social engagement. So let's have a listen to my chat with George Ferguson. So just to, to introduce this to you, why, why I thought that you would be an interesting person on this, there's five areas of well-being in total, according to some research. And career, uh, financial, healthy, etc., are all part of them. But one of them is community, how engaged we are with our community, how happy mm. we are with our mm. community. Now, the subject of these podcasts is money and happiness. Mm. But it's important that these things interrelate. So how money and happiness and how where you live and happiness, how those two things interact is why I thought that you might have some particularly interesting things, given your experience with Bristol and, mm. and your work now. Mm. And this place. I mean, the, the tobacco factory is created around the idea of what I call real regeneration. That's regeneration of a community that becomes relatively self-sufficient in a place that was pretty depressed. It was very poor. It was high unemployment because the major employer had moved out, Imperial Tobacco. There was crime. You couldn't leave your car safely in the area. I'm talking about 20, 25 years ago. So to me, this has all been a project about community cohesion, which makes people feel positively about the place and enables them to run their lives without charging all over the place or having to drive somewhere or having to fly somewhere, that if they do those things, those are optional. The, the tobacco factory's been an amazing success, hasn't it? Yeah, right. but I, I do see it as very much fitting into what you're talking about. And so um, just the yeah. you've got a bar, you've got a theatre. Uh, there's my daughter's been here for dance workshops when she yeah. was at little. Used to come for every, every Saturday. Uh, lots of good community stuff. What the else? Creative is industry workspace. There's okay. a lot of lot of people in the creative industries here. There's a gym, so it's got health. Uh, it's got conservation studios. We have people playing in the common areas, playing ping pong or table football or whatever. Um, and the people who work here, I think, generally do so for the lifestyle. Yeah. And I think they feel they're more productive as a result and people are not charging home at five o'clock, you know, because they actually like being here. What I wanted to do is put together something where everything feeds off each other and then it's not just about the building, it's about the the, the street, the community, about the uh, craft bakery down the road, you know, so you can get local beer, local cheese, local chocolate, all locally made, and independent shops, which are second only to Gloucester Road in terms of an independent high street. So what was the catalyst for all that round here? A, I had a deliberate project to do that, but it's been far exceeding my expectations, which, of course, increases my well-being because uh, it's, it's, it's better on every, on every count. I think my attitude has been not to pile up money for the sake of it, which is very much the subject you're talking about, but to make money to use it creatively to further the project. You know, setting up a market doesn't actually bring money in, but it creates a community focus, a meeting place, and a regular meeting place. So everybody knows they can come here on a Sunday and they're almost bound to bump into their friends. And in an open market like that, 80% of people communicate with each other. In a supermarket, you're lucky if 20% communicate with each other apart from the checkout 
counter, and also encouraging local-to-local trade. And I'm a very strong advocate for localism, where you know who you're buying stuff off, and you, you know, uh, there's a complete craziness about our economic system. You know, if you've got localization, you get the real cost of things. Uh, you get such a mix of people in all the, the various venues that have grown up around here since I opened the cafe bar. Um, and I think, so it's not just a matter of you can do everything you want to do in this area or you need to do in this area. You can meet everybody you could possibly want to meet in terms of people from different walks of life and that sort of thing. And I think that's enriching. The book called Wellbeing that uh, I got a lot of the initial ideas from for the financial wellbeing talks about acceptance of others makes a happy community. Yeah, I'm which sure was that's a surprising right. yeah. that it was so uh, clear cut. Mm, you know, mm. what's your experience of that? I think that's right. I mean, uh, we've been through a rather sad period recently with all this Brexit stuff, and a lot of that is about the fear of others. And the interesting thing is the greatest fear came from the places that experienced the least mix. When you mix communities, people get it. They get it that it enriches the place. Rather than treating people with fear, they treat them as enriching their lives. And um, so I think there's a, a lot of truth in that. And uh, once you start accepting other people, it's so much more... Yeah, life becomes so much better. So what you've done here with Tobacco Factory, or what has uh, come out from what you started, how do you expand that across this city, well, other cities? Well, I think it, I talk about the Tobacco Factory effect as a form of urban regeneration. I think the essential character of the Tobacco Factory is not central. It is embedded in a residential area, uh, so it's, uh, in an old-fashioned sense, it's suburban. I mean, it's not suburban, actually, because it's very much nitty-gritty city. But my belief is that a good city is not one that's over-centralised, that it's polycentric, so that you use the equivalent of the, what the tobacco factory's done, but not the same, in, in different areas, and that you might, in a city like Bristol, have 20 different centres. I mean, there are 14 different neighbourhood partnerships in Bristol, I don't think they truly represent the various communities, but say say there were 20, and they, they create their own centres of excellence so that they, they define an area, um, and that they can trade with each other in terms of what they provide. And would and that I be think, in different disciplines? So you have a finance district, for example? And a well, I'm, I'm wary of, um, of creating monocultures, so... Uh, I think you could have a speciality in terms of, yeah, the tobacco factory is around the arts, basically. You could do the equivalent around sport. Um, you could do equivalent around IT and media. You can do so. Yes, I think you can do that, but I mean, you probably can't create twenty distinctly different uh, uh, places. You could do the equivalent ar- around food or environment, um, but they're all going to have a bit of one of those things. I think a really good city is one that's got several different regenerative projects that make their areas distinctive, that are not isolationist at all, 
but are um, celebrating localism, but are communicating with all the other areas in the city. I think that's, that's the ideal city to me. So when I became mayor, that was something that I was really keen on doing. But I don't think it can be done by the authority. I think it's got to be, to a large extent, a bottom-up bottom up process. It's a matter of enabling these things to happen by encouraging, not discouraging. Actually, to do interesting things, you've probably got to break some rules. And actually, you don't make a really good, happy place without breaking rules. Uh, you know, I, as an architect, I've always recognised that an awful lot of our regulations and planning laws restrict what you do. Um, you know, streets having to be a certain width, for instance. Actually, what they get great joy out of a street that you can almost touch each side of. And so I think you need to be, as an authority, much more flexible to enable interesting things to happen. You're more likely to get better places that people feel good about. I think authorities' prime role is to make it easier for social, cultural entrepreneurs, individuals, educators to do interesting things themselves and sometimes pump a little bit of funding into it. And I think um, you know, government should take more risk. It tends to play safe and do what it is used to or fund what it's used to. Uh, <laughs> I do think that you should, be, you should take some risks if you want to try and get some interesting things happening. You were able to not worry about the polls because you have an independent career. Yeah. Whereas most of our central politicians are career politicians, aren't they? And therefore the only thing they can worry about is what's, about, what's going to yeah. happen at the polls, so they can't yeah. take those risks. Well, yeah, but I was interested about the, um, the Korean mayor that I... So go on, yeah, it's a conference in South Korea? Yeah, in a city called Jeonju, where the, um, the mayor has decided to uh, concentrate on localism and what he calls the economics of happiness. But he's... he's taking a risk in having experiments. Uh, the development industry don't like him because he's just stopped a flaming great shopping centre because he didn't think it would make people happier. In fact, he thought it would do the reverse. But he's thinking very fundamentally about what will be good for people. He's engaging a lot with young people. I think our electoral system tends to listen more to the 50 and 6-year-olds because they're more likely to vote than it does to the young people, either because they can't vote or less likely to vote. And our democracy doesn't necessarily work, or necessarily, I think, doesn't work for the sort of change that we need to, to make to create these uh, interesting different forms of community. But there's a thought around whether you have to have money to live in a nice place. I know mm. you don't, but how do we articulate that? You've got, to, uh, you've got to be able to afford the place to live in, and I'm very conscious of that. And in a rich city like Bristol, you're poorer than if you are poor in Liverpool, for instance, where your housing would cost under half as much as it costs here in terms of either purchase or rent. So I think a fundamental is you've got to have enough to, to live, but you don't have to have enough to have a load of machinery. I mean, my, I got rid of my car last year because, and I tell you, it's brought me so much joy in that all, I use the bike 95% of the time. I'll get a taxi if, I, if necessary, but I know that that's 
a fraction of what I used to spend on running my car. I don't spend a lot of money. I, I spend all my money on little ventures that, you know, like setting up a brewery or I've sunk a lot into making the ferry company work. Uh, you know, those things bring me a lot of happiness. But I don't think you, you know, I think you can live very healthily. You can be very happy if you learn how to cook and live very cheaply. So I think having loads of money is not necessary. Some people seem to be miserable unless they're richer than everybody else they know. And that, but they're usually miserable gits with it. I can't think of anything more fulfilling than being able to suddenly give a thousand quid away. You know, it's to, to something really worthwhile. And that thousand quid may be of less importance to me. It'd certainly be of less importance to me than the the charity or the individual or whatever that uh, is in receipt of it. So, But then that, when you make an investment, you've invested the ferry, for example, that's something you can use, you can see, you can yeah, see yeah, other yeah. people enjoy it. That's great, yeah. I mean, that yeah, is equivalent of being an architect. I mean, why I'm an architect, I never, I never made money as such from being an architect. I made money from my... Uh, you know, I probably wouldn't have bought the tobacco factory unless I was an architect. I wouldn't have had the nice to have done it knowing you know having worked on uh but yeah the great pleasure of being an architect is not making money the great pleasure of being an architect is the results you produce or um <laughs> or sometimes the pain is the results you produce and as frank lloyd wright the great american architect said well sometimes you look at a building and all you can do is ask your client to grow creeper <laughs> 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 or grow ivy, I think. Yeah, it was. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's great. So look, let's get back to um, communities then. Uh, what else came out of your career trip? What are you going to bring back? The I think sharing. The mayor of Seoul has as his uh, sort of theme the sharing economy. We got so much stuff, and we don't all need. You know, how often do you use your Black & Decker drill? You know, he's looking, as uh, Copenhagen and some of the Canadian um, cities do, at setting up shared resources. It's a bit like car share, so, or um, Airbnb and things, where people use apps now to access things. So we don't need so much stuff. I think that's a really good thing to look at on a community level. So, you know, why does everybody in a terrace of houses have a mowing machine? You know, you're only one amongst ten houses, really. Uh, if you know. you're sharing a, a, a lawnmower, you've got to go next door to borrow it. You can have a little chat while you're Yeah, yeah, you? absolutely, yeah. yeah. And have a moan about the parking or something. <laughs> a subject dear to your heart, George. <laughs> By the way, do you remember my policy advice to you when you first declared your candidacy? Remind me. I, um, I knew you had advice. I had one change to Bristol's transport policy that would increase the capacity of cars on the road by 50%, which is change all the bus lanes back into roads. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You didn't take that one up? No, I wouldn't, no. <laughs> no, because I think, yeah, you have to give advantage to buses, otherwise people won't use buses and you just get more cars. So it's... Um, no, I think... I never thought you were going to take it seriously, no, no, George. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you dig a 
if you dig a ditch, it fills up with water. If you dig a deeper ditch, it fills up with more water. You know, and so you can never catch up that Here's way. a question for you as we're on transport. Why do taxis get to use bus lanes? A taxi is a shared vehicle, so that's part of the shared economy, really, and it's not using parking spaces. It'd be good if they were electric taxis. And there is one city in... Taiwan that has developed a great... It's got loads of people now on electric scooters. What they do is they hire the scooter and the battery uh, for a certain amount a month. Uh, They've got something like 100 hubs where you can just go and swap your battery. It takes a couple of minutes. There's a bit of sharing economy, really. The Boris bike. So I I think the sharing economy... Yeah, the the Boris bike. I think that is um, a great way forward because it saves people money and it increases communication. What other examples of sharing have you seen around the world? One of the places that I seem to remember you mentioning was Nice and their one-pound all-day bus. The French system's completely different. The city administration is much more in control of the public transport system. I do think that is a really good example. Yeah, it, it doesn't lead to happiness if you have private wealth and public squalor and... Uh, to a certain extent, I think that the public transport system that we have in this country, in most of our cities, London being a big exception, is completely inadequate compared with um, France, where it's given a real priority. You go to Bordeaux, it's a real pleasure now, and you know, you'd be idiotic to drive a car around the middle of Bordeaux that feels almost car-free. You've just got these beautiful trams gliding their way through the city and it creates much more civilised public spaces. So even people who you would never normally get out of a car are inspired to use public transport. I do think that uh, many of our streets, especially in the residential areas, used to be the hearts of our communities where the kids played and... uh, old people would go out and talk to each other and and um, I think we've lost a lot of that and I think in the residential areas we you know having much calmer streets is really important green capital was brilliant for us because that created loads and loads of projects and um, one of them one of the major projects was getting school kids onto bikes and you will get more road to yourself if you haven't got all these parents in huge great cars taking their kids to and from school. You've been affecting change in the community through private enterprise, tobacco factory, Mm. and you've been doing it through legislation as a mayor. Mm. Which was easiest? You're more in control of your own life if you're doing it yourself, and you make your own choices. And it's a huge pleasure coming back to being able to choose what I do. Um, as a mayor, you've got, uh, you know, running cities, that's a brilliant thing to have to do. I thrived on it, but uh, there are certain things you just are not in control of. It's a matter of identifying the right, the appropriate people. I couldn't manage a city. I could lead a city. Uh, and there are other people who couldn't lead, but could manage really well. And I think it's making sure you put those things together. Is there anything that you want to talk about or say that you're doing there that people might want to go and have a look at, websites or activities you're on? Well, I've started um, a, let's call it a consultancy. It's not to make money, it's, uh, it's, it's to pay for itself, but called People and Cities. 
and people and cities is using my experience to um, share with others really which is the reason why I'm doing a lot of traveling at the moment and uh, I'm setting up a website called peopleandcities.com um, where I will be sharing thoughts and blogs and um, and developing ideas about uh, some of the things we've been talking about. I'm also very conscious of the increasing challenge of homelessness and so I'm trying to start something called that I've called Little Boxes which is using something that I was involved with. We developed a system for housing the scientists in the Antarctic. We developed a really simple insulated ply box system I get frustrated, I got really frustrated by the fact that in government there are so many rules that unless you do something to a certain standard, you can't do it. And I think we should be much more prepared to find interim solutions. A good enough principle. A good enough rather than a perfect. And so we're building very expensive social housing, which is great for those who get it, But as a result, we're not building enough of what is desperately needed for those who don't qualify, you know, for the for the full thing. So I'm really interested in looking as an architect and and with the added benefit of having had to deal with these issues at seeing whether we can develop a system that provides communities that are better than encampments that might use temporarily available land that on building sites in the city, for instance. So I'm really interested in working with others on on that as well, because you cannot truly be entirely happy if you are leaving people in a miserable condition. It doesn't make me happy walking past some of the people who are begging on the street. You know, it's uncomfortable living in a city that, that has that amount of of difference. And I think we'll all be happier if we can do something and there's nothing like doing something to solve to help solve a problem to to make you feel more fulfilled and um, the same applies with the environment that's why I care so much about the environment I want my kids to recognize that I did what I could and now my grandkids fascinating stuff there from George controversial figure when he was mayor of Bristol Um, in my view he activated a lot of very necessary change and as you touched on in your interview, uh, because he wasn't aligned to any particular political party, because he was less interested in polls and results, he just went out and did what he thought was right. Some of it perhaps was more controversial than others, but I think he will be remembered with hindsight as a very good mayor of Bristol. I would agree. Uh, I didn't agree with all the things that he, he, he tried to change, but I must say now that I've spent a bit more time understanding the principles of what makes a happy city... I get some of his changes more now than perhaps I did then, and maybe that's something he could have done differently. Is is brought the people along with him, but um, I'm not sure everybody wants to be brought along. No, with him, do well, they? <laughs> certainly, in the tobacco factory, which you talked about a lot there, a fantastic place. I am a I am a friend of the tobacco factory theatre, uh, which is a place that I attend a lot. They do some great stuff there, really interesting stuff, and that's led to the regeneration of all of North Street, which is the street that it's on, which has changed in character hugely since the tobacco factory has been there. 
there has been, I have to say, some resistance from some of the long-standing locals who feel it's been over-gentrified and lots of incomers coming in. But I think you touched on that in the interview. It leads to an increase of social cohesion and that acceptance of others that we were talking about earlier. Because yeah. the minute you get to meet people that might be from a different cultural background, a different social class, a different job, a different race, a different religion, whatever it might be, then you get to understand them better. And hopefully that leads to more happiness. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a few other things to point people towards. He, George mentioned his People in Cities uh, programme, and his website is Bristol First. That's 1ST, bristolfirst.com. Another interesting place is a website called thehappycitylab.com, and they are doing something called the Happy City Experiment. There's a really good TED Talk on this. And this TED Talk talks about how... A happy community is one where you have shop fronts. So you don't have a big supermarket with a glass frontage and a, and, a, and a door at each end, but you have local traders with lots of open doors of people coming in and out. And that creates a lot more of a happy environment. I mean, it's obvious, really, when you think about it, isn't it? So you look at what Tobacco Factory has spawned. It's exactly that, isn't it? It's a whole load... I mean, I know that there's a big supermarket behind too, but uh, the main high street is lots of local traders, people milling about, local markets, people talking to each other. Yeah, I was also taken, something that George mentioned about his visit to Korea, with the economics of happiness, mm. which is something that the mayor of that was pursuing. And that comes right back, doesn't it, to everything that we've been talking about, financial well-being. And that is to do sometimes about thinking about things differently. Being prepared to accept that, that our way, your way of thinking is yeah, it may have served us well for all of our lives, but perhaps there's a different way of doing things. And I think this whole notion that you can equate economic well-being with, with happiness, uh, I think is a lovely idea. And uh, I think it's something we should perhaps explore more in future podcasts. I think we probably will. And, and there's two things I would, I, I would say we would particularly look at there. Um, firstly is his point that this shouldn't come from government. It should come from the people. And so this is education. It's about us realising, not sitting around saying, you know, somebody should do something about that, you know, <laughs> but actually doing something about it ourselves. We choose where we live. Exactly. So let's choose to live in a place where there's lots of shop fronts and a good multicultural mix. I think it's been a very interesting podcast, Chris. There's uh, one more thing that I just want to touch upon, and that's a Bristol initiative called Happy Cities. Um, happycity.org.uk, another thing that if people are interested in this, they've got a really interesting take because they've decided that in order to engender greater happiness within a city, you should measure it. And that's a fascinating concept, I find, and that may well be something we go and talk to them about in a future podcast. Um, if you measure something, you can then, A, determine which, which areas need help the most, and secondly, you can demonstrate the effect of your intervention, which for local councils and governments is hugely important. So that's a fascinating project as well. All that's still to come, but that's it for today. Remember the Financial Wellbeing book, available at all good bookstores. <laughs> uh, remember to tweet us, at FinWellbeing. That's all for now. We'll catch up with you next time. Thank you. If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial well-being. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk 
You can follow us on Twitter at FinWellBeing. Chris is Ovation Chris, and David is at David underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think. I work all night, I work all day, to pay the bills I have to pay, and it's sad. And still there never seems to be a single penny left for me. That's too bad. Thank you.